Well, good morning and welcome here. My name is Luke and I get to serve as the pastor here. It's good to have you. We have a number of announcements that we're uh, that we want to re- go over here real quick before we uh, start some singing. Uh, first off, just a reminder about the concert tonight. Uh, there are two bands, Vota and Sanctus Real, and uh, they're doing a concert tonight. These are very good bands, uh, kind of big bands, and they're doing a concert here tonight, which is really great. The, the address, 311 Road B. Um, some of you might know uh, Steve Hebner. It, it's out at his place and in his uh, machine shed there. So uh, just, you know, look for the big group of people when you drive onto the yard, and, and you'll know where to go. So uh, that's tonight. Um, also, um, Joanne has an announcement for us on uh, kids' time. Wednesday, and there's a slide for it too if you could find that. There is a, we're going to have a fall party, and I just want to invite any parents to come. Um, you're welcome to come and just join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be at Marvin Pat Bowler's. We're going to eat first like normal, and then we'll walk the kids over there and just do a bunch of games and a story and some crafts. So it should be a great evening, and I just want to make you all feel welcoming. welcome to come. Also, uh, garage parties are coming up. Now, our church has three different locations. We have um, the brochures are on the back. Uh, you're welcome to grab uh, one of these. Um, our church has three locations that the Trevinkas are hosting. Uh, Chuck and Carla and Becca uh, Page, they're hosting parties at their place. And um, if you would be interested in, in helping out, or if you don't even have anything to do on Halloween, just like... Bring a lawn chair and sit in the driveway and chat it up with people as they stop by. Uh, We figure that at our place last year we had over 120 kids, just kids, uh, come come to our place, plus all the adults and that kind of thing. So that's a lot of food and nachos and a lot of just chatting it up, and it was really fun. So if you don't have any plans, get a lawn chair and find some place. And, uh, and go do that. And, and, yeah, and all the information is in here. Thanks to Joanne, because she put this together. And we're going to be distributing this amongst uh, kind of all over town, so everyone will know about it. Uh, two Sundays until Harvest Missions Festival, Kenton and Kedron Miller, uh, the missionaries that, that we support uh, from Germany, are going to be in town. And so they're going to be sharing with us during that time as well, too. Um, also, it, just in, in case you hadn't heard this, some of you may have known uh, Dustin Hedrick, who passed away on Tuesday evening, I believe it was, or, or Tuesday morning. And uh, he had a lot of connections here in town. And so he, uh, his funeral is going to be at FEBC on, I believe it's Tuesday, at 10 a.m. So, um, yeah, we want to be in prayer for, for that family and, uh, and that situation. That's just kind of a tough thing. So, um, Team leaders, uh, we're meeting Monday night. Uh, just a reminder, we've got a lot of stuff to go over there. Uh, so see you at uh, Monday night, 7.30. And also one thing to add into the schedule, after we do the worship set, uh, we're going to be giving away Bibles to, to some second graders. And so that's kind of a neat thing that, that we like to do every year. It's kind of a, yeah, just a, a neat celebrative honoring thing that, that we like to do. So just so you know that, that that'll be happening. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good and glorious day. God, thank you uh, that you love us. Thank you that you are for us. Uh, Thank you for your grace and your mercy and the opportunity to, to gather here. We love you and we worship you. Amen.
So the kids at um, Sixth Line, they all play cards, and there's like paper airplanes in there. I didn't even know you could like print cards with a paper airplane. And so, um, yeah, there's cards in there for you guys. You can say um, how much we appreciate you, fun things you can send to each other. So yeah, you can send each other gifts and things. Um, so yeah, we just want you to know that we appreciate all the, the gifts that you do. together and we're going to just worship the Lord this morning. Feel free to um, just worship as God leads you standing, uh, kneeling, sitting, whatever it is, feel free in, in your worship this morning. I'm going to read First Peter 2, um, some verses out of that. It says, but if you suffer for doing good and you are patient, then God is pleased. This is what you are called to do because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow so you should do as he did he had never sinned and he had never lied people insulted christ though he did not insult them in return christ suffered though he did not threaten he let god the one who judges rightly take care of him christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would stop living for sin and start living for what is right and you are healed because of his wounds. You were like sheep who has gone astray that wandered away. But now you have come back to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And God has taken our pain, he's taken our suffering so that we could have life. And that's what we want to celebrate this morning.
from us that we can trust you, that you are so good to us. Some of us don't have examples of good earthly fathers, but you are the ultimate father.
shuttle. We have Bibles for each of you. And then what we did is we marked out a little story in each one for you guys, okay? So, Hayden, here's your Bible, right? And we got your name in it. It's pretty cool. But then we marked a story in here for you, um, Daniel and the lion's den. I don't know if you remember this story, uh, but Daniel was a neat guy who loved Jesus, and he would always pray and his, read his Bible at the same time. But then some people around him said, well, you, you really shouldn't do that anymore. And he said, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Then there was a thing where they threw him in a pit of lions, but it's okay. He turned out okay, right? So um, just a neat story, though, about uh, a guy who was very courageous and brave and did the right thing. Yeah, good for you. All right, Brayden, here's yours. Same thing. We got your name in it. And we marked a story in here for you on where the Lord calls Samuel. And so when uh, when Samuel was um, very young, Julian highlighted it, Joe highlighted it, um, God called to him and shared some really neat stuff with him, even at a very young age. And so it's a really neat story about a young man who hears God's voice and follows his direction. All right. Eric. Okay. The story that we marked out for you was David and Goliath. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Young man who had to fight a very big, scary giant. But he was super brave, and God honored him in it, and he was victorious. But it's a really great story. There for you. All right. And Alex, the story we have for you is Joshua from the 12 spies. And so what happened was 12 spies went into the land to kind of scout things out. But when they came back, there were 10 of them who kind of had a grouchy, pessimistic attitude about the whole thing. But there were two who were very brave and viewed it from God's perspective. And God was really honored and pleased with that. And then like 40 years later, those two brave, honest spies were able to go in um, with all the others and, and help take the land. So it's just a neat story of courage and, uh, and saying the right thing even when others don't. So there you go. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then you can go back and sit down, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of children. God, and thank you for these young men. God, what a remarkable gift and blessing um, that, that our children are. And God, what, what more glorious thing could there be than, than raising our kids to love you and honor you and serve you? And so we ask your blessing upon these four, upon their time with you. God, that you would watch over them, protect them, keep them safe, fill them with your spirit and with your love. Give them a rich, deep love of scripture and of your word. I uh, ask that you would anoint them with your power by the Holy Spirit. And um, it, uh, yeah, that you would just continue to, to guard them and, and their entire family. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Ushers. <laughs>
Thank you, worship team. I want to read a story to you. I'm going to read it out of the book of Acts. Um, So uh, a little bit of context in the New Testament. First four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the gospel account, right? These are a biography of Jesus and his time on earth and that kind of thing. Then you have the book of Acts which is, uh, some would describe it as, uh, you know, what was happening in the early church, uh, what happened during that time, or some actually say it's a book all about the Holy Spirit. And we have four books on Jesus and one about the Holy Spirit. So there's a couple different ways that you can approach it. And then the rest of the New Testament is really just letters written between people, right? So it's 
you know, kind of like WikiLeaks. You get to read someone else's email kind of type thing. So um, so we're in the book of Acts in chapter 10. I want to read chapter 10, and we're going to go through this and then, um, yeah, and then talk about it a, a little bit more. And we'll kind of explain as we go. So I am in the book of Acts, chapter 10, uh, Peter and Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known in the Italian cohort. Uh, centurion. Centurion was a military designation. Um, uh, cent, C-E-N-T, means 100, right? Centipede, century, means 100. So this man was over 100 other soldiers. Uh, very high-ranking, kind of prestigious position. So we have a high-ranking military official dude. Uh, A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So he's incredibly religious. Now, he doesn't maybe yet know about Jesus, um, but just a very religious, devout man. And his entire household is with him, right? So he has led his his group um, or his household in this direction as well, too. About the ninth hour of the day. Uh, their day started at sunrise, so 6 a.m. So take 6 a.m. and add nine hours, so about three in the afternoon. Uh, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Uh, and he stared at him. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Anytime anyone sees an angel, they're terrified, just kind of as an FYI. Um, and I lost my spot. Uh, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Okay, and then he's going to give him the address on where to find him. Uh, he is lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey, so this would be the group of men who were on their journey, and approaching the city, uh, meanwhile, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, so noon, to pray. And he became hungry, because it's lunchtime. Uh, And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at, have, um, at once to heaven. Okay, now I want to pause there and just explain a little bit what, what's, what's going on. A little bit of background, because the, uh, um, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, had really strict dietary laws. And that came out of the Old Testament. When the Israelites were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, God gave them a bunch of dietary codes. And he said, don't eat this, you can't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat that. But the codes are, like, really weird. You know, it's like things with a cleft hoof or chew their cud or what. You know, like, it's really kind of odd stuff um, that these rules that they were given. It's interesting, though, because now as we go back and look at all these dietary codes, pretty much everything that they were given 
was either to help them avoid some kind of disease or sickness, or it was a, a pagan practice that some, you know, occultic group was during, doing nearby, and so there was supposed to be separation. Uh, for instance, they weren't supposed to eat pigs, right? Like, no bacon, hard living. Um, but, you know, it used to be that there was some kind of parasite that you could get from uncooked pork. I forget the name of it, but this used to be a thing, right? Well, God, rather than saying, okay, look, so there's a thing called a parasite. You just got to take my word on it because it's too small for you to see. You would need a microscope. Um, microscope. Okay, so it's, it's this thing that bends light through a, a glass lens. Glass, right. Um, so, right. So rather than having that conversation and sketching out a microscope, he just says, don't eat the pigs and just take my word on it, Okay. Um, rabbits, you're not supposed to eat rabbits or jackrabbits. Well, when you eat rabbit, it pulls the vitamin C out of your body. Mountain men would die of scurvy because they only ate jackrabbits. And then it pulls all the vitamin C out. Like, look it up, really. Um, so they say, you know, no jackrabbits. There's another one, uh, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, right? So talking about goats, don't like, you know, milk one goat and then take the little goat and cook it in a stew in like the milk. Well, that was this occultic practice that a nearby uh, c country was doing. It was part of kind of their pagan ritual, right? So some stuff, it's like, that's unhealthy, don't do that. And, and this is kind of part of, a, you know, occultic Satan worship, don't do that, okay? So, so they had this very strict dietary code. Folks, this was 2,000 years of tradition rooted in Scripture, so this is a real, like even our Mennonite traditions only go back, I don't know, not 2,000 years. When did Menno live? 500,000 years ago? I should know that. Um, no to self, don't ad lib. Um, so anyways, I mean, 2,000 years of tradition rooted in scripture. This is a big deal. So, so for, you know, any good devout Jew to be told, hey, fry up the bacon, like, like just emotionally repulsive idea, okay? And now Peter is having this vision where unclean things are coming down and he's being told to eat, and he's like, no, never touched it, never did it, never going to do it, like, ain't happening, you know? Probably thought of some kind of test, like, is he holy enough test? So this is a really big moment. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision uh, that he had seen might mean, you know, because God didn't say it clearly three times. Um, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them, uh, so Peter invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose, uh, so Peter went and rose with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. 
Uh, but Peter lifted him up saying, whoa, uh, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered there. So, I mean, Cornelius is not just like, hey, I'm really intrigued by this. He sends for Peter and then just brings as many people as, as he can, jams them into his living room. Um, and then Peter said to them in verse 28, and he said to them, you know yourselves how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Um, and, and, and Peter's going to carry on. But the, the racial segregation was like, it was high, okay? Like, I mean, unlawful to associate. And these are like self-imposed rules. It's not like someone else is saying, hey, Jews, you're not allowed to do this. This was Jewish leaders telling Jewish people, you are not allowed to associate that with them in any way, shape, or form, all right? So just really tense, uh, uh, thick racial segregation going on. Um, Peter continues, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, so Cornelius gives them the story. I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. A man stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms send, therefore, to Joppa. Ask for Simon. He's lodging, you know, at this address. So I sent for you at once. Uh, you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. Amazing eagerness to hear. I mean. He didn't know who this guy was. He just knew that he was a messenger from God. Sends for him, doesn't really check out his resume, brings all his friends and say, we want to hear from God. And we're told you're the guy who can do that. So we're all here because we want to hear from God. Uh, in the next verses, Peter uh, shares the gospel and starting in, in verse 34. And uh, I'll just kind of skip over that. But he, he goes through it and he, he shares the gospel story. Uh, then in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on them who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles? Question mark, exclamation point. Uh, for they were hearing them speak in tongues, which is just kind of undeniable proof that the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter and his crew um, stayed around for a little bit. So that's, that's the story. But here's the concept. Because um, as I was kind of thinking and praying about what to share today, uh, you know, because we have, uh, you know, a couple Sundays before um, Advent starts. But, but, but here, here's the idea that, that I'm feeling that you need to hear today. Um, that, that for some, you have spent so much time fretting about what it is that God wants from you that you have forgotten what it is that God wants for you. So hear that again. You have spent so much time fretting about what it is that God wants from you that you have forgotten what it is that God wants for you. What was it in this story that God wanted from Peter? 
He wanted him to violate 2,000 years of tradition that was rooted in Scripture. He wanted him to eat animals that had been considered unclean for thousands of years. God wants him to do things that he has never done in his life before, to do things that he swore that he would never do. God wants him to face social rejection, gossip, slander. Because no one else got the message, right? No one else had the sheet thing happen. That was just a Peter experience. God wants immediate obedience. I mean, barely has the thing disappeared into heaven. Then these three men show up at the gate and say, hey, we're here. Time to go. God wants immediate obedience from him. God wants from him that he will abandon the old and do something completely foreign and completely new. And why would God ask these things of Peter? Why, why was God being so unfair to Peter? Why was God asking Peter to break with deep, deep-seated tradition? Why would God ask something of Peter that would cause him pain and rejection and discomfort and was just totally outside the bounds of normal? Because God wanted for Peter that he be the first person to usher in the gospel to the Gentile community, i.e. anyone who's not a Jew. So like you and I and the rest of the world. Because God wanted for Peter that the gospel of Jesus Christ be taken to the world. People like you and I, people not of Jewish descent. Because God wants heaven to be populated with people of all tribes and all tongues, from every nation, from every people group. Because God wants the world to know that they can have relationship with God. Because God wants everyone, not just the Jews, to have a rich, full, purposeful, empowered life here on earth. And God wants for Peter to be on the front lines of all of that. Later on, we read that the secret of the gospel revealed was that the gospel is available to all people and not just the nation of Israel. Peter had gotten bogged down in, in the lunacy of what he was being asked to do, uh, the break from tradition, the weirdness, the difficulty, the criticism. He would have missed what God wanted for him and what he wanted to be a part of. The other day, uh, uh, I'm cooking something in the kitchen. I have no idea what. But got a fry pan and, and a spatula. And, and the handles were just kind of hanging off the stove, just about two inches. Levi comes in, and he reaches for him. He's not quite able to, to quite reach him, but he's reaching for, for these handles, right, for, for what's on the stove. So what, from Levi's perspective, what does he see? He just sees like two inches of handle, right? And Levi has only ever known, like, food and toys, so what could go wrong, right? I, in my superior position of, you know, 5 feet 11 inches looking down on the situation, what do I see? I see a pan of hot, I don't even know what I was making, hot something that could burn him, that could cause severe pain, cause suffering, scars, a lot of tears. So in that moment, what is it that I want from Levi? I want his immediate obedience. I, I want to be able to say stop or no, and I want him to obey me. If he refuses to obey me, I will either my voice will get louder or I will like flick at his fingers or something because I am willing to, to cause a lower level of discomfort or pain so as to avoid 
the searing pain. And he will be sad and he will pout and he'll throw out the bottom lip. And he will look at me with these eyes of betrayal and loss of trust and walk away. Maybe he just collapses and cries on the spot. And like I'm sort of sad, but mainly I don't care. Because in that moment, what is it that I want for Levi? I want for him to not experience the pain of having hot whatever being poured all over his face and his neck and his shoulders and down his back and down his chest. I want for him that he not be scarred physically, that, that he not have scars all over his face and torso. I want for him that he know happiness and joy and laughter. I want for him to not experience hospital and needles and bandages and gauze and skin grafts. So yeah, he's a little bit upset, but hey, oh well. What I want from Levi in that moment is derived from the big picture of what I want for Levi. My, my, my heart desire is for him to have a, have a happy, wonderful, scar-free life. And so it determines that in that moment, I don't let him grab the handle. And you could, you know, I mean, in that example, right, that's kind of a negative. I don't want bad things to happen. There are other things, right? There are good things that I want for my kids. And so because I want good things for my kids, you know, to grow up and have good lives and good jobs and good spouses and that kind of thing, as they grow, there are things that I want from my kids driven out of this big picture of what I want for them. And, folks, this theme is all throughout Scripture. And I believe that it's at the heart of God. And I think it's that it's what you need to hear today. That you not get bogged down in what God wants from you without remembering the big picture of what it is that God wants for you. I think increasingly we're seeing a lot of confusion around Christianity. And, and somehow, somewhere, I, we've, we, there's been a, a breakdown in communication, like almost at a national or global level. But, but people were, were, were taught that Christ and his desire, or perhaps they were taught about Christ and his desire for them, but somehow they only heard what God wanted from them, and so they just left with a lot of rules. And so they think Christianity is just, you know, don't drink beer, and no sex before marriage, and don't wear certain t-shirts, and don't curse, or at least not out loud where you can be heard, and, you know, don't watch certain movies. Instead, do this, do this, do this, and don't, and don't, and do, and don't, and do. And, 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 and somewhere in that communication, they, they just heard a lot of what God wanted from them, and they missed the message that God was for them. And so what they heard was a message of legalism. And when they get older, they reject the legalism, but unknowingly also walk away from the living Christ as well. They grew up playing this game where if you dial all the knobs just right and you, if you can get just kind of the secret code on, on the safe, then God will love you and then your life will become awesome. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. False religion says that if you are good, then God will love you. Gospel, the scripture says, because God loves you first, you are free, or you have the opportunity for incredible freedom. Freedom to find meaning in life. Freedom to, to love God, to have adventures with Him. 
freedom to love your neighbor, freedom to share burdens and hurts and struggles without guilt or shame. Does God expect certain things from us? Yeah. Yeah, he does. I get that, right? Okay. Scripture is full of don't grab the fry pan off the stove and don't stick the knife in the electrical outlet and don't drink the toilet water and stop trying to chew on the plunger because that's gross. And I've had to have that conversation multiple times. All right. That's just not cool. So, yeah, Scripture has that. There's lots of things that God wants from us, but it's because God wants certain things for us. When you tell people that God is for them, eventually they will ask about pain and suffering. God loves me so much, then why pain and suffering? It's a very good question. It's a very big question. Uh, really kind of too big to cover at this moment, but I, I do just a few things. I do want to speak to it. A- as I read scripture, I really don't see that many promises where we avoid suffering. What I read are promises that he will be with us in the suffering. And honestly, I mean, if being a Christian meant that you got to avoid all sin, disease, and suffering, I mean, how many people would sign on just for the free lunch, right? As compared to an actual love for God. I think Scripture has, and I've I've not counted, but in my opinion, Scripture has more verses guaranteeing suffering and pain and hardship than verses promising an easy, cushy life. And actually, several of the best Christians in Scripture had very difficult lives. I mean, the mere fact that we have to use the word martyr should indicate that things don't always go well for the people who really love Jesus. Sometimes the pain and suffering is because others hate us. Sometimes it's because God is disciplining us. And you know what? Sometimes it's just our own fault. First John, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John 15, if the world hates you. First Timothy 6.10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Matthew 5.12, rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets... 2 Corinthians 12, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. James 1, like opening line straight out of the gate. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds. Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. We also have to be dangerous. It's easy with this legalism. There comes with it this mentality that says, I was good, I behaved, I followed all the rules, and this is the thanks you get, that I get. This is how you repay me. I did, I did all the good things, and then you betray me. We have a lot of people believing that if, that if they follow the certain code, then it puts God into their debt. And that God is somehow obligated to do favors for them. Because they're somehow on this peer, one-on-one relationship. That God somehow owes them for being obedient or for being a nice person. God is not in our debt, people. Not at all. He doesn't owe us anything. He gives to us, but he doesn't owe us. One other just kind of final warning in this. 
Um, I get that it is total, that, that it is possible for the pendulum to swing all the way to the other side, right? And, and for people to get so fixated that God loves them that they fail to put any kind of effort into, you know, what it is that God wants from them. Um, they ignore the, you know, that part of it. They just think that Christianity is all about them. Um, and it's not, okay? Uh, but I don't feel that's the message for today. That's another sermon for another time. Today, you need to hear that God is for you. Garden of Eden and, and heaven are kind of the bookends on the existence of, of humanity, and they're really the two places in Scripture where we see man interact with God without the negative influences of sin and of evil and of Satan and the, the disease and death. Garden of Eden, God forms man out, out of the, the dust and then he breathes life into man. The life-giving breath that fills our lungs is really just on loan from God. All life originates from God. The first thing that God gives to man is life. We see that man was created on day six. We also see that God rested on day seven. Meaning man's first day with God was actually in a position of rest. Man and God spent their first day together on the Sabbath, resting together. God worked so that man could rest. And then out of his rest, man begins his journey of work. It wasn't work that came first, it was the rest that came first. God looks at man, he proclaims that even in this perfect garden where everything was perfect and God made it all himself, that there is still one thing lacking that was not good, that man was alone. So God creates companion. He creates woman. So God creates fellowship and community and marriage and union and togetherness. God did not desire for aloneness. We see a place where God created trees, and Scripture says that they were beautiful to look at and they provided good fruit for eating. And so God creates beauty and variety and splendor. Not because he needed to, nothing necessitated it, but it's just in the heart of God that things be beautiful. And he wanted man to experience beauty. And so he infused nature with beauty. And he provided food that had good flavor. Thank you, Jesus, right? Delicious, wonderful, tasty food, you know? And we see that God and man had fellowship, that they would walk together in the cool of the evening, that they would have conversations and interact. God wanted man to know God, to experience God, to hear the heart of God, to learn from God. For man, it was a place where man could ask questions and, and discuss life, and the two were in community. But then, as many of you know, man messed it up. And we were the ones who broke the relationship. We were the ones who handed authority over to Satan. We were the ones who put ourselves into debt too big for us to pay. Now the world's a mess. And our sin requires payment. And so once again, God steps in and he does the payment for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Next verse, for God did not send the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
And someday, for those who give their life to Jesus, we get to hang out in heaven. And Scripture tells us that heaven is going to be a place of peace and fellowship and community and worship and light and healing. It talks about the leaves of the trees being used for the healing of the nations and feasting. There's a, there's a big feast that's going to happen. And rewards will be handed out. Garden of Eden, God wanted good things for you, but then we sinned, we messed up, so God, again, intervenes, does good things for us, sends us Jesus. Not only do we get salvation, but we get an exciting, fulfilling, adventurous life on earth, and then someday, for those that say yes to Jesus, we live with him forever in heaven, and God has arranged good things for us, people. I also thought it would be fun to take a moment and share for you what do I desire for you as your pastor? I want you to know and love Jesus. I want you to recognize your sin. I want you to accept his salvation. I want you to continue to grow in faith and mercy and justice and wisdom and maturity. I want you to be good husbands and good fathers and good wives and good moms. I want you to have solid marriages and relationships that are full of trust and communication and great sex. I want all of you to do one more missions trip. You're here, you're mobile, you love Jesus, you qualify. I want you to take everything that you have received from church, I want you to take everything that you have received from God, and I want you to find a way to give it to someone else. I want you to be able to worship with freedom and abandon. I want you to handle your resources and your money well. I want you to have active and healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a healthy relationship with parents and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids for some of you. I want you to know Scripture really well. I want you to be active in your community. I want you to grow as a disciple. I want you to help others grow as a disciple, both locally and outside Henderson. I want you to glorify God with speech and lives and actions. I want you to so love your community and be engaged in community that communities are transformed. And if you were to ask me what I want for our community, I would give you the exact same list. We looked at the, the, the story of Peter and Cornelius. And I was wondering, when do you suppose Peter realized the fullness of what he was being asked to do? So he knew what God wanted from him. When did, when did he realize the fullness of what God wanted for him and, and, and what all what, what opened the door? When he took the gospel to the Gentiles, when he took the gospel outside the nation of Israel, when he made it available to all mankind, when does the fullness of that set in for Peter? God is the only being who is all-knowing or omniscient, as we say. My theory is that Peter, even though he has spent the last 2,000-ish years in heaven, I think he's still watching the storyline unfold. Meaning, I think he is still learning just the breadth and the volume and the magnitude of what he was asked to do and what he was involved in 2,000 years ago on a rooftop when the strange bedsheet with the animal thing happened. God is for you. And if you don't understand that God is for you, then you will eat, lead 
either very legalistic or very bitter lives. You have to grasp this understanding that God is for you. There are things that God wants from you, yes, but you're going to have a hard time stepping forward in that until you realize that God is for you. Rest in the truth that God is for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we have so much to learn about the heart of God. We have so much to learn about you and what it is that you want for us. And God, you know, we spend a lot of time learning what it is that you want from us, and that's good. But God, speak to us today on what it is that you want for us. Because, Lord, frankly, sometimes we just need a little bit of big picture encouragement. We, we just need a little glimmer in, into what all this entails. Lord, I pray that for every person here, for every person listening, that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit beyond what we ha- have shared here today, that you would go into detail in, in, the, in their lives and reveal to them bits and pieces of how you are for them. Lord, we want to be faithful in what it is that you want from us. We ask for your help on that. We, we, we want to stay tight to that. But Lord, we, may we always remember what it is that you want for us. And frankly, Lord, there are things that we want for you as well. We want you to be glorified and honored. We want your kingdom to expand. We want other people to be able to worship you and give you the praise that you're due. But Lord, we recognize that you started this relationship thing. And so we thank you for that. God, we surrender our lives to you. We give our lives to you. We say Jesus gets to be Lord in every area of my life. Kind of unfair. We give you the sin. You give us salvation, but we'll take it. Lord, our heart is yours. Our, our allegiance, our loyalty, our obedience is yours. And we receive your free gift of the Holy Spirit, your truth, of your authority, of your power. We love you, Lord. Amen. Please sing with us as we respond. There's a place where mercy
what you've done. We do surrender our lives to you. We, we see the big picture, God. We know everything about it. We can put our faith in you. Your greatness. We thank you, God. You're dismissed.